The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking a Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm Tim Jackson with TC Zenka and TC. We have... A lot of weird stuff happening in a certain division today. How are you? Do you have any, uh, are you any match for what the NL East has been? I mean, could the NL East get any weirder? No, I'm, I'm ready to rock. I'm ready to see how the rest of the season plays out. I am so pumped. I'm like both pumped to see how the NL East plays out and also sad every day that the Nats have thrown in the towel because it's just so <laughs> up for grabs. It just feels like, I think, I think the Nats did the right thing, but like, this the the this the, the division winner is going to be like an 85 win team. It's just like it's just insane. It's up for grabs. That the Braves are still in it is insane. I'm I'm so pumped to see how the rest of the season plays out. This is like this is where my attention is all the time right now when I go to look for baseball. Well, that's the thing. We've got a heck of a 50 games lined up for the end of the season in this particular division because right now every other divisional leader in baseball is at least 19 games over 500 which is kind of crazy it, it speaks to the competitive landscape for sure but I, it's also i don't think making it any less interesting uh that said outside the AL West every division is uh at least 4 games up on their second place uh you know whomever is chasing them uh instead in the AL West the A's are 2 games up over the Astros right now uh, the NL East leading Phillies are just five games over 500 as of recording now at 59 and 54. The current second place team, Atlanta, is a game back at 58 and 55, having played a few more games there. The Mets are two games back at 56 and 55. The rest of the division, like you're saying, the Nats, clear sellers. The Marlins, clear rebuilders, maybe eternally, but always seemingly a threat uh, at some point or another, or a potential threat. But all of this said, what do we make of the NL East? Whose division is it actually to lose, TC? Well, I think it's still the I think it's still probably the Mets to lose, even though they've already lost it and they're now down in third place. I mean, it's tough. I mean, <clears throat> if you look at so if you look at you know run differentials, the Braves are the only team in the positive, right? All four other teams, including the Phillies, who are who are negative ten, are in the negative. And the Mets have been kind of the front front runner for a while. They're they're at negative eighteen. They've been on a skid recently. And the big thing with the Mets is that Jacob Degrom is maybe not coming back, or who knows what's going to happen with him. And without him, it's I think it's just tough. And Lindor has been out, and he had started to kind of put it together. 
Lindor's replacement, Javi Baez is out. The Mets have just no offense. So, I mean, the division was theirs. It felt like it was theirs. And the thing about the Phillies is, you know, the Phillies have stormed in here and taken it. The Phillies lost uh, yesterday, right? Yep, to the Dodgers last night in what was actually a really interesting game up until a rain delay that we were actually just talking about before we hopped on on the East Coast right now. The, the, the rain is crazy after some crazy, crazy humidity and heat all day. Uh, Aaron Nola and Max Scherzer, they were both, both dealing. Uh, I think Scherzer, I think they combined for like 13 strikeouts or something through four innings. Right, they both and, came out of that game, right? Yeah, both di- they they did not come back after the uh after the rain delay and ultimately I think what that's what kind of sold the game, right? Like you're in it with Nola, you're in it with Scherzer and then you come back and it's the Phillies bullpen versus the Dodgers. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'll forget it. They should have done like Nola and just not come back at all. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even bother. But so you know, that ended their their win streak, but you know, that's the thing about a win streak is they don't last forever. So, you know, the Phillies seem unbeatable when they go take eight straight and they, you know, storm to the top of the division, but it's going to balance itself out again now. And, you know, I, I, I like this Phillies team kind of a lot. I mean, I hate to think that they disappear as our kind of like team to make fun of to, to poke fun at, <laughs> but it's, that goes for the Mets too. The Mets are also that team. It just felt like the Mets had a little bit more staying power this year. It felt like because of the way they built out the depth of their roster, because of DeGrom and Lindor at the top, it felt like they had like entered a land of legitimacy or were on their way to the land of legitimacy. And, and now that doesn't seem the case. And the Phillies are, they're up there. So, I mean, I guess, you know, technically right now it's the Phillies division to lose to answer your question. Uh, and that would be a classically Phillies thing to do. Uh, if I may, but I'm nodding, but uh, you know, we'll see. I still right now feel like if, if DeGrom is able to come back in, in September and Lindor comes back, you know, the Mets are going to be a force, but can they survive that long without him? I'm not sure. I'm just, I'm just not sure. The Phillies have a lot of good things working for them right now. Well, let's, let's go back to something you said a minute ago in terms of what the Mets had been doing before. And at the start of the season, in terms of really seeming to turn things around just with getting Lindor, with being on their way, with all the depth that they had acquired through the course of the winter, they really did seem to be as though they were, you know, on a, a traje- trajectory away from the Mets of old with the Wilpons, which were a very, very easy team to make fun of. They seem to be turning away from being as much of a gong show. But I don't know if that's the case right now, right? Like, there are a lot of things going on in the Mets, both on and off the field, uh, when it comes to ownership, when it comes to leadership that has been left in position, when it's come to the choices they've made, the pursuits they've made of even somebody like Trevor Bauer, who is, uh, he, he just, his leave of absence just keeps getting extended from the Dodgers and the rest of Major League Baseball. Uh, it seems like they almost missed a bullet, but that, it, that the, maybe they guided themselves toward that direction anyway, because... You know, now Lindor is hurt. He's strained his oblique. Uh, He's been out about a month, right? He has not been terribly effective before that point. He started to take batting practice the other day. I think that's really critical because right now, over the last couple weeks since the deadline, granted, small sample sizes abound, but we're in a a timescape right now where small sample sizes could really rule out the division for this point. So over the last couple of weeks since the deadline where they didn't make a massive trade, Jonathan VR and Brandon Nemo are really their biggest guys at the plate. 
uh, or rather, uh, Nimbo's been okay, but Drury has been good. Brandon Drury and Jonathan VR have been excellent. Both really crushing it in terms of their at-bats. They're the two top offensive produ uh, producers outside of pitcher Tyler McGill, who has, uh, he's got six plate appearances and, uh, <laughs> and a couple of walks and a couple of strikeouts and so on. But, uh, you know, what, what do you make of a team that loses somebody like Lindor who has an injury that the oblique is kind of curious, right? Like it always causes trouble after the fact it's, it's an extensive injury. So do you think that they can float? Like, do they have enough there to float with the likes of Jeff McNeil, with Dom Smith, uh, with Pete Alonzo? Or are they still looking for a piece? Are they still going to try to, like, just float their head enough to get healthy enough and beat out these other two teams ahead of them? I mean, I don't think that they have the pieces there if, the, if those other guys can't get healthy. I mean, we've, we've seen this Mets offense all year, and it's one of the worst in baseball. It's a, it's a bottom five offense. They're terrible. They're just terrible. And they, and while as much as they have some of these pieces that look good, you know, Nimmo is good in center and he's only played, you know, 54, some games, 56 games, maybe. And he's there now and healthy and McNeil's been out and he's back and Conforto's been out and he's back. Like, you know, they, they have what the makings of what looks like a fine offense, but it hasn't been that at any point this season, the, the offense has been consistently pretty terrible. And, you know, now Pete Alonso, Pete Alonso is slumping a little bit and he's a guy who, you know, I don't totally trust in the second half. I, I think the Mets are really, really in trouble. Not to mention that, you know, they have a, a relatively tough slate of games coming up, which, and that is not the case for either the Phillies or the Braves. And in fact, like this is something, this is a big point in the Phillies' favor. The Phillies have the easiest strength of schedule in baseball the rest of the way. Yeah. Easiest and strength that's... of schedule the rest of the way. Like they have, if the Phillies can can take care of themselves, like they have, it's a cakewalk. So they have the Dodgers now, which is tough, great. Then they got three against the Reds. Reds are good. Then they got the Padres or the Dime through the Dimebacks, through the Padres. Padres are a bit of a mess. They have a couple against the Rays. So this the rest of August is, you know, they got to weather some stuff. But then at the end of the month, they get the Dimebacks again. So they have six games remaining with the Dimebacks. Then they get the Nats, who are a mess. Then they get the Marlins. Then they have three against the, the Brewers. And then the rest of the way, it's nobody. It's the Rockies for four. It's the Cubs for three. It's the it's the Orioles for three. The Pirates for four, and then they have one big series apiece with the Braves and the Mets. Like, and then Which with, may or may not be that big if they can take care of business in the meantime, right? Exactly, exactly. So you look at you know, the Mets are waiting for September. They might not be able to get to September. Like the the Phillies mm. can bury these clubs. The Phillies are playing pretty much all the losing teams in baseball. They're they're playing all of them. It's the Pirates. It's the, it's the Orioles. It's the Cubs. Like the Phillies have a really great situation right now. I mean, it happens that the Braves do as well, and the Braves are a team that I trust against teams. The Braves are the type of team that seem to to win the games that they should win. So you know. At the, at the end of this thing, we might be looking at the Braves and the Phillies even, you know, come early part of September if the Mets can't figure this out with their offense because they can't, you know, they can't rely on their starting pitching right now. They just don't have it. They've been as much to depth that they, as they built up. They are, are beat up right now, and they do not look great. I mean, I was watching them today against the Nats, and Rich Hill was pitching, and he was cursing up a storm. He was, like, pissed at Jeff McNeil because he booted a ball, and you know, maybe that's, that's Hill, Hill trying to do is like, you know, rah-rah, you know, veteran 
grizzled leader kind of thing, but it just made him look a little bit sloppy and disjointed. And I don't know that they, as much as like they have said that they, the clubhouse vibes of that team is like, you know, a plus they love the vibes of that team. That's, that's what it was. That's what we heard all, all throughout the trade deadlines. The Mets didn't want right. to mess with their juju. Like <laughs> well, juju has been messed with now. And now like now is when the real test comes for that clubhouse. And I don't know how they're going to hold up. You know, a note on that Rich Hill trade that was really interesting that I, or that I found to be interesting is that he hasn't pitched more than a hundred innings in like forever. And he was crossing, he was about to cross that line with the Rays this year, and then they traded him. And that's a really interesting thing that the Mets were willing to go out and acquire him when he hasn't really crossed that threshold in some time. And he's one of those guys who has not been effective so far as a Met, really. The, the last couple of weeks in particular, he has not had good outings. Uh, so maybe, you know, he's taking it out on somebody like Jeff McNeil for booting a ball, but really, Rich Hill hasn't put himself in a good position. Uh, and the other interesting thing about them, like, of course, Jacob DeGrom is like the big thing hanging over the Mets, hanging over this division because he could go out and win a couple of games himself in spite of the Mets offense because he's just been that good this year. He's, he's had a historic season that's really been unfortunately kind of ravaged by uh, the way he's he's been nick, nicked up all year off and on. And now even what we learned just this week is that when Noah Syndergaard comes back, he's going to be coming back in relief most likely, right? So like, You've got Carlos Carrasco, who is, is still kind of, it's, you know, appears to be adjusting. He got lit up earlier this week. Uh, you have a rotation that is without really its biggest pieces and its biggest names. You've got one of them going to the bullpen, one of them up in the air. Another, like, just so many things seem to be a question for the Mets. And, like, yeah, like you're saying, they might not be around come a few weeks from now. You know, you, you give them three weeks and see what happens, and a lot can happen in that time. But... It seems like they're kind of on the outs. Is that fair? It's totally fair. I mean, it's just the way it looks right now. I mean, as much as I like their their rotation, even without DeGrom, Carrasco is working his way back still. Taiwan Walker, I feel like, is in for a bit of a, you know, downturn in the second half after their, a really great, you know, career first half for him. I, I, I mean, I think the story at the end of the season is going to be that the Mets blew it, that the Mets blew it again here in this division. It doesn't feel – I mean, if Syndergaard comes back, I like him coming back as a reliever, actually, because, you know, guys in, with Tommy John, it tends to take them a year or two to figure it out. So I like using him in short stints. But it just might be too late, and the Phillies are the Phillies are trending up. And, you know, the Braves are kind of another story. But, like, you know, we want to talk about the Phillies today. So let's talk about the Phillies for just a minute here. Because while, while the, the Mets have lost Jacob deGrom, and this is a shame, like, the, the Phillies still have their Cy Young candidate. Zach Wheeler has been amazing. It's like true. he's been amazing. And he's right now probably a front runner for the Cy Young along with Kevin Gossman. He's just been great. He's been really great in their rotation. All of a sudden that we, we, you and I have hammered on multiple occasions. Most their rotation's looking have. kind of okay. Like Kyle Gibson continues to pitch pretty well. That's who I thought is, you meant as their Cy Young candidate. No, I mean, that's exactly <laughs> what they needed from him is for him to pitch pretty well. He has pitched pretty well. Aaron Nola looks, you know, dominant at times and and you cannot understate the importance of a real frontline ace like this is what this is what the importance of max scherzer has been all these years for the nationals the guy who's kept them around this is the importance of the ground for the mets without him there we're seeing what's happening to the mets like that guy the guy who goes out for you once every five days and just like gives you a chance to win every single time is a huge huge thing for a team 
And the Phillies right now have one of the best guys in Zach Wheeler. He's been awesome. Now, I don't He's know about the rest of the rotation. They got some problems. Like, is Zach Eflin coming back? If, if, if Eflin's there, I feel like they got a really good front four and you're, you're feeling pretty good. Without him, you got three guys, which is huge. And the rest, you got to kind of work around it and figure it out. And, you know, they got a couple of days off here and there the rest of the way so they can try to massage those you know those days but it's uh you know they're going to be leaning on wheeler still the rest of the way i do want to make a note uh, in in addition to how excellent zach wheeler has been to uh, that really regards how good aaron nola has been uh, he's catching a lot of flack ar- around here locally uh, in terms of not being good enough about being hit or miss about being really on or really off but ultimately when you shake it all out he has the second highest strikeout percentage of his career. He's got the lowest walk rate of his career for a guy who has always been good at controlling his walks. Uh, save he was average last year, and then the year before that in 2019, he was that was his only year in his entire major league career that he's been above, uh, below average in terms of giving up walks. This year's walk rate is just 5.2 percent. He's backed up his FIP minus, so basically the lower it is, the better it is. 79. Uh, his FIP overall is more than uh, or just about a full run lower than his 4.35 ERA. And, you know, he a lot has also been made of him at the end of seasons, kind of um, like just not having it and being gassed and, and being a worse version of himself come September. But he's been better than people are giving him credit for so far. And ultimately, like you can't. The other day I heard uh, like even a, a radio personality was saying like he's had like one of his worst years of his career. It's just like patently untrue. Uh, yeah. And maybe he doesn't need to be as good when you've got somebody like Zach Wheeler ahead of him who has been a bona fide ace, who has like undoubtedly been top pitcher in all of baseball, who is good enough and young enough to stay there. He's 31, uh, barely. He's 31, two months uh, years old. So, you know, two months ago he had his birthday. But Wheeler's got his case. He's got the most strikeouts in his career. He's got the lowest walk rate in his career uh, for a given season. Been utterly, utterly dominant. And maybe that takes the heat off of Aaron Noel a little bit, especially when you've got a guy like Kyle Gibson, who, like, we talked outside of recording about that trade and how weird it seemed to give up on Spencer Howard, to get in Kennedy, who's expiring, to get Kyle Gibson, who is, like, maybe due for some regression, but also only signed through next year. And you gave up four years of Spencer Howard, basically. Uh, Weird trade overall. I'm not ready to say that it was the right thing because you still have the likes of Chase Anderson and Matt Moore on this roster. But if they can make it to the playoffs, those guys are like buried. They are like, thank you for participating, buried. Yeah. Yeah, likely. I mean, you need a fourth guy at some point, and you hope that's Eflin if he's back. But right. you're totally right. Like Nola has been, I mean, just by if you go, but just by F war, I mean, Wheeler's the best pitcher in baseball by far. Nola, though, would be at 11 or tied. He's tied for 10th with uh, with Dylan Cease. And and Kyle Gibson's on there too in the top 30. If you have three top 30 guys, like that's what you want. That's like, you know, redistribute all the pitchers and three of these Phillies arms should be the ace of their own staff. Based on their, you know, volume this year. And like, that's obviously like, that's not like true talent or anything. F war is so much about, about volume and what they've already done that it's not necessarily like the great, 
best thing to look at for, you know, moving forward, but it does mean a lot for just who these guys are and what, where they stand in the league. I mean, there are only so many ace, 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 like frontline playoff, like true aces. Like you can take the top 30 guys, whatever, and, and create your, your list of 30 aces. There's usually about 10 to 15 or so like actual aces, maybe less. And Wheeler is undoubtedly one of them right now. And there aren't very many, especially with Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber on the injured list. Clayton Kershaw on on the injury list. Trevor Bauer hopefully gone forever. Like there, Steven Strasburg on the injury list. Like a lot of guys are out, and Wheeler right now, he's one of the only true aces out there. And he, I'm not sure at, at, full full win and a half better than Brandon Woodruff, who's second, which is just insane. Yeah, it is just insane. I mean, and the thing is, I don't know that right as of today, I don't know that there are many rotations better than the Phillies if we're talking about a short playoff series we're talking about you know a, a division series now granted one of them is in Milwaukee which is who they would have to play if they make the playoffs so you know there's some problems there but yeah these three guys they could stand up with anybody right now and they gotta feel and right now they're healthy right they're healthy and they look healthy and that means everything right now. If this season, this baseball season is going to be anything like the NBA, then it's going to be a war of attrition, right? Like what did we see in yeah. the NBA? Guys just kept getting hurt. And we've seen this in baseball too. Guys keep falling away. If you can stay healthy, like that's a huge deal. And so even to have three of these guys healthy and to be able to run out a four-man rotation for certain weeks and to be able to use Ranger Suarez, you know, whoever the heck that is, as they have, you know, with this sub one ERA as like a little mini opener sometimes and like you, you can get by especially in this division which is as we've said again and again it's you know it's kind of a mess so I, I just I think the Phillies pitching situation looks really good right now and as much as the bullpen has been you know rightfully like you know much maligned like they they got they have plenty of good arms out there and maybe Ian Kennedy is the type of guy who you know, maybe he'll have a 350 ERA, but he won't be blowing the saves. And if that's, yeah, that's if he's giving deal. up one one run and, and locking down the save, great. He doesn't have to be an all-world closer to be an upgrade for the Phillies right now. And that slots everyone else into into potentially high-leverage situations where they can be helpful quality arms, like Archie Bradley and Hector Neris. Like, these aren't duds. These aren't, like, guys you can't use like and again they have ranger suarez out there and jose alvarado you know was just placed on the the il but assuming he comes back like they have some pieces out there that can be enough for a for a bullpen the rest of the way i i think pitching wise the phillies really you know look pretty good they might line up better than any team except the dodgers right now if we're looking by by f4 and like you were saying it is about accruing and is about playing time and what you did not necessarily what you're going to continue doing but volume is such a big deal this year because like you're saying health has been so critical for so many guys so that the fact that Zach Wheeler has been able to make 23 starts the fact that Aaron Nola has been able to make that many starts is a really really big deal the fact that Kyle Gibson typically does throw a ton of innings each year and he's made 21 starts also a big deal uh, and you know otherwise it, the Dodgers you're talking about the Phillies having three guys in that top 30 the Dodgers have three, I think, in the top 13. It's uh, Bueller and Scherzer now and Urias, and that's kind of insane. Yeah, and they, uh, but, and they could sign Cole Hamels, who is the guy that, like, I really wish the Phillies would have signed. It's like, man, how perfect would he have been just to be the back end of the rotation yeah. guy? Like, man, oh, man. 
I mean, I who think knows? he maybe, wanted maybe to go. Do anything, but... I think he wanted to go to the Dodgers, though, right? Like he. he yeah, who wouldn't? You know, yeah, right. Exactly. Scherzer put his way there. He was like, "No, I have my ten and five. You guys can suck it. Like, I don't care if you have a deal with an AL East team. Like, yeah, I'd really not. I don't. I'm not going there." Uh, and I love when guys exercise that because they have earned it, and it is such a, a rare thing to earn ten and five, right? Uh, so good on them for exercising it. Um, is there a question with the Phillies lineup? Because Reese Hoskins just went on IL with a groin injury. Their starting first baseman becomes Brad Miller. And what's that gap like? Well, Brad Miller will absolutely win a playoff series. He is absolutely the type of guy. <laughs> I mean, if he were on the Giants, he'd be a lock for like, you know, NLCS MVP. <laughs> on the Phillies, there's, you know, less of a chance, but. The Phillies lineup is interesting. I mean, it's got, they have their horses, you know, Bryce Harper is a legitimate MVP candidate. I don't care how much you hate him or how much, you know, it's funny at, you know, at camp today where I'm, I'm coaching baseball for, you know, 11 to 13 year olds, they all hate Bryce Harper so much. And they're, you know, it's not, it's national territory here. So of course they hate him, but they're just like, they're just like, oh, he's overrated. They're like, they're like, he's mean. He's a mean person. <laughs> I'm like, you guys, you like, what are you talking about? He's a mean person. He's not a mean person. And they're like, well, he was mean to me. And I was like, well, maybe he didn't like you. That's okay. Yeah, maybe like, you smelled a, bad he, that day. Yeah, like he's a fine guy and he's like an MVP candidate right now. He looks awesome. He's underrated again somehow. He's borderline underpaid somehow. Like Bryce Harper is a legitimate dude. He is, you know, he is the Zach Wheeler of their lineup. He is maybe one at one time we thought he was going to be this and then we kind of gave up on him being this but here he is still anchoring a lineup that's got a chance for the playoffs and i hope we get there i hope we get to see bryce harper yeah. have some meaningful games for the phillies for the first time it'll be great plus they have jt Realmuto, who is you know still in the conversation for the best catcher in the game so they have their two studs andrew mccutcheon is a guy you will absolutely go to war with and left you feel good there but they have some holes like you don't feel great about center field, whoever is out there. Alec Bohm has not exactly turned it on yet at third. Has he been better? He's you know, been I'm better not lately, sure, but... but still like not super, like not clearing enough. I think that you're comfortable with him. And, and like, that's the other thing in terms of processing the Phillies that you really have to also process. What have you done for me lately? And this team has already had a lot of history this year of, of totally goofing games and blowing games offensively, defensively, uh, from the bullpen. It, the, you know, just things like that, 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 that the taste stays in your mouth like, like a really strong, like a dish that was baked with like three times too many onions, right? Like it's going to linger there even after you brush your teeth. So he's, he's turned it around a little bit over the last few weeks, I think since the end of July, but ultimately still not necessarily somebody you're trusting. And when you have Harper and when you have Real Muto and you have McCutcheon who, you know, still knows how to hit all things being equal, not really the, the fielder you need, but still knows how to hit better than so many dudes. Uh, I It's kind of like, ooh, like you get to that spot in the lineup and you're like, that could be a vulnerability. You get to the other guy, the center field spot where it's like, Oh, cool. Oduble just bat flipped another pop up. Like, you have these concerns yeah. about certain spots, even though Bryce Harper is OPSing 976, which is insane. He's got like the seventh or eighth best slugging in all of baseball. He's hitting almost 300 right now. He's on base over 40% of the time. 
Like, he's having a wild season. I, I called at the beginning of the year that he would have the second biggest season of his career because I don't think it's fair to say that he would top, like, nine wins again, right? Over nine wins. Right. Uh, as he did in his MVP year. But he could do it. He's got 50 games or so left, and he's at 3.7 FR. We're just going to go by straight-up value like that. His second best year is 4.8, perennially in that range, right? He's so, so good that I would love to see him having meaningful at-bats. I would love to see him have the table set for him because that's the biggest issue right now. People look at his stuff and they're like, he only has 45 RBI? Well, yes, nobody can get on base ahead of him, ever. He's got 20 homers and 45 RBI. That's not on Bryce Harper. So I'm very concerned about the rest of the lineup to a certain extent because of a line like that with Harper. Who is hitting leadoff for this team most of the time? Is it Segura? Because Segura's having a really great season. And then they got is Harper in the Harper's still batting third most of the time, right? Yeah. Yep. And I mean, that's something we can pull up. That, that's a great question. Uh, I, feel, I feel like uh, seeing the games, I know it. And then being asked explicitly also puts me in the spot <laughs> to be like, uh, it's like, like, tr- like bar night trivia ultimately, right? Like, right. uh, you know, all the stuff until they ask you that actual question. Um, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to scan baseball reference on that right now for their lineups. And cause it looks like it was, uh, you know, Segura yesterday, but he bet second a lot of the time. It's like they've they've been batting Herrera lead off the last couple of games, like, which is a problem. You can't yeah, be batting Odubel, you know, Odubel Herrera. Uh, you know, he's a black he, hole. Herrera stinks. He's not he's the like, guy you want. I, not to be harsh, he's a major leaguer, so I understand there's talent there, but like, I don't think he's a starting center fielder quality player on the majority of playoff teams, right? No, he's a second division starter in center field, like pretty solidly second division starter, and not a, a tremendous one there. I mean, and he, the, yeah, he's one of these the onions as you mentioned them, like, and they have a lot of them. It's Travis Jankowski <laughs> and it's Luke Williams and it's Ronald Torres and it's you know, Nick Maton. It's like, they have all these guys who are essentially like poor man version of what they hoped uh, Scott Kingery would be. And Scott yes. Kingery is like a destitute man's version of what they hoped Scott Kingery would be. <laughs> yes. And it is like, you know, it's funny. It's like, they knew what they needed ahead of time. They just like put their eggs in the wrong basket and then haven't been able to figure it out. And center field is a tough spot. I'm surprised they didn't go try to get somebody. Cause you know, Jankowski was good for a time but like he's travis jankowski he's 30 years old he's probably not gonna be more than what he what he is you know he's got some speed he's got some on base skills but he's not also he's also you know a guy you want to be your fifth outfielder like right which is what herrera should maybe be herrera can be a fourth outfielder but you know you have mickey moniak who's come up a little bit but never enough to get any actual playing time not enough to get any run where you're gonna feel comfortable with him getting any real at bats at any point so like herrera is your guy at this point and it's not like there were a lot of center fielders out there Right. Besides Starling Marte, and you know they didn't have the pieces, they didn't have a, you know, Jesus Lazardo to to give up to get him. So no, I get that. You know, and center field is a tough spot to figure out, but it is just a hole right now. And the problem is that the Alec Bohm spot doesn't look like a hole, but it is, and the Didi Gregoria spot doesn't look like a hole, but it is, and if those guys don't get going. You just you have a really, really small portion of the lineup that's working for you, and and it's not 
it's just really not enough to have you have Segura and Harper, McCutcheon, Real Muto. You have those four guys. You're and in McCutcheon a little bit of trouble. Been, he hasn't been great the last few weeks. Uh, he did bat a lot of leadoff for the team early on, uh, but ultimately it looks like that stopped in like the end of May. He got and hurt. It, you know, yeah, he got hurt. And by the time he came back, now he's batting a lot of fourth. And uh, sometimes when it comes to roster construction, I wonder if it's like, you know, teams putting together basically two lineups inside their nine spots where it's like we want to kind of roll over through Mm -hmm. this or we want, you know, we want somebody to get on base after Harper might uh, do something. Uh, And Kutch has been able to do that. You know, he's still ultimately walking this year at 15%. His OBP is still 353, so he's really pretty solid in that regard. Uh, But I, like... And this was a couple of years ago when he, before he tore his ACL, like he was incredible and he was such a linchpin for that lineup at the top of it. And, you know, like to put him in that position again, it might like, it might be time because for as well as things are going, uh, you have a guy who you could at least trust to get on base. And I don't know if, if things start to cool off, like they naturally do like seasons ebb and flow and they're, you know, they're eight and two in their last 10. But if things start to get pushed that 500 level again, like, why not put McCutcheon back up at the top of the lineup to see if he and Harper and Romuto can at least put a couple runs on the board and then deal with it with whatever it comes after that uh, when you have to. Yeah. I like putting him back up there. I mean, because they don't have nothing else. They don't have any other options and he's a guy who will put together good at bats. He will see a lot of pitches. He'll take his walks. I love him batting in front of Harper. Why not? Because the other problem is they, they don't have any depth. Like, you know, we talked about the Mets lineup. The Mets lineup actually looks better than the Phillies lineup. It hasn't produced better, and it doesn't have the high-end star quality, right? Like, Harper, Segura's been amazing this year at, at the plate. Real Muto and Harper, like, those guys, they've, like, legitimate stars with the bat. But yeah, they don't have these other guys, and they really need Gregorius and Bohm to hit. And if these guys got, if these guys aren't hitting, if they aren't able to turn around somehow, like there's, it's not like you have other guys who are ready to step in. It's these are the guys. These are the guys they have. It's not like they have guys on the DL who are coming back. Like Freddie Galvis won't help them. Like this is this is who it is. It's Luke Williams and it's Ronald Torres and it's Travis Jankowski. Like these are the guys who are going to be stepping into play. And like Ronald Torres can't be. He can't usurp your starting shortstop, which could happen at some point with how things are going. Like, Didi hasn't been very good this year. And you're saying they don't have depth. They absolutely do not have depth. That's why they couldn't go out and make an acquisition for somebody like Center Field, because they didn't have anybody to give up, right? Like, that's that's why their hand was forced to make uh, the, the Gibson and Ian Kennedy deal, because Spencer Howard was the only piece they had, right? And they've already, they've got a history for kind of screwing up their top prospects, guys who do develop elsewhere, uh, Nick Pavetta even made comments with the Red Sox that were similar to the ones that Spencer Howard made once he was traded about like, it's just really nice to have a consistent plan because like you, even on the pitching side, you mentioned Ranger Suarez, Ranger Suarez was your out of nowhere closer with elite ground ball rates. He doesn't really have an out pitch, but now you want to stretch him out to be a starter and help that solve your rotation because he came up as a starter, but that's kind of a really tough thing to do and build a guy up for in the middle of August in a playoff race for the division. Exactly. Right? Like, the depth is certainly a question, and that's why it's like who steps up for this team because even as though Brad Miller has had his moments and he always has his moments in every season, he's still ultimately OPSing like 50 points lower 
than Reese Hoskins was. And Reese Hoskins was not setting the world on fire, but his OPS was over 830. And yeah, he, he was striking out 25% of the time. He was walking less than ever, but he was still better than Brad Miller. So now you've lost a cog. Groin injuries can be finicky. We don't know quite the extent of it just yet. We hope, obviously, it's a 10-day stint, but it might not be. And I feel like that's where the door stays open for these other teams in the division. For a team like Atlanta, who did go out and get Jock Peterson, who did go out and get Jorge Soler, guys who have been raking on top of having a, like a young breakout like Waskar Inoa coming back for the rotation, potentially. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, suddenly you look at the Braves lineup, and they've got Travis Darno back. And they have Duvall, who's hitting like crazy. And Solaris hitting better, and he's heating up. And Jock Peterson is still fine. Like, they don't have the holes in the lineup. I mean, uh, two weeks ago, they did. Two weeks ago, when they had Guillermo Heredia and, you know, uh, Adrianza and Abraham Almonte, when those guys were playing every day, it was like, what is going on with this lineup? It did look kind of like the Phillies. They had these, like, the back end was a mess. But they shored those spots up, and – you know, Austin Riley's having a big time season. Freddie Freeman's still Freddie Freeman. This Austin lineup looks, has, looks good. It, it looks better it right does. now than the Phillies lineup. And it looks better it right now than the – I like the Mets lineup, except they've produced nothing all year. They've been terrible all year long. So, like, it's hard to believe in them. But, you know, right now, do the, do the Braves actually have the best lineup, even without Acuna right now, between those three teams? They might just have the steadiest lineup because, like you're saying, Austin Riley has had the kind of breakout that you would hope Alec Bohm would have had this year. Like, Bohm had it when he came up. He has flop- he flopped considerably out of the gate for the first few months. He started to turn it around. But by no means is he having the kind of impact that Austin Riley is having for Atlanta because Riley's really killing it. And, like, who's that guy for the Phillies when, when we can already name it for the team that's chasing them? That's that's like I, I wonder if that's where Atlanta really does ultimately sneak in because that seems to be how they're kind of lined up. Yeah, and, and I think it might even be a problem that we know who it is for the Phillies, right? It has to be Bohm, and that is is a problem, right? You really don't want – I mean, last year when Austin Riley struggled for the Braves, they weren't leaning on him, right? They had other guys yeah. to go to, right? That's And that's the thing is like the Phillies now – it's really hard to say to a kid who's struggling, who's like adjusting for the first time to the major leagues. Like he's, it's not an effort issue. He's just adjusting to the, to the speed of the game at the major league level. And it's really hard to say to that guy, like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta pick it up and pick it up now. Otherwise yeah. we're, we're struggling to make the playoffs. Cause it just might not work that way. He might not like, I think Alan Bohm's going to be fine. I think he's going to be a good player. I, I, I do believe in him long-term, like his strikeout rates aren't awful. Just the power has been nowhere. He's had no power. And no, I don't well, know that you look at him and say like this, that it has to happen right this second. I, I don't know that that's going to happen. And that there's not another guy on the roster who's even potentially able to be that guy is, is, is a real problem for them. And the problem with Bowman in particular is if you like, he puts the ball on the ground so much. I think his ground ball to fly ball ratio is over two. So, and ideally you have it around one ish, right? A ground ball per fly ball that you hit, but Bohm is not doing that at all. And there's a reason he's not doing it. It's because he, he does not get under the ball at all. Like average launch angle can be kind of sketchy because it doesn't account for the way you hit the ball in the air when you hit it there, but his is under eight degrees. 
And that's one of those things where it's like, you, like you're just not going to su- uh, survive in terms of being a big time impact bat if you are ultimately putting the, the ball on the ground. 2.43 ground balls to every fly ball he hits right now. Uh, and yeah. ultimately, like, no good. No good at all because you're left in a position where your average launch angle is 5.5 degrees. It's almost a full degree higher than it was last year, but like that's off like that in that context, nothing to work with there. And that's not something you're going to adjust midseason, let alone three quarters of the way through or two thirds of the way through for a team that needs somebody to step up. Yeah. And the Braves just did a really nice job of shoring up all these, all these holes, right? Like the, yeah. The Phillies are basically just in a position where they have to ride it out. They have to say, you know, Bohm's got to be better. You know, he's hitting the ball on the ground way too much. There's, is there a way to fix that in midseason? Probably not. Like that's a diff- that's, you know, ask Yandy Diaz how easy that is. It's it's not, it's not easy just to fix it overnight. And so I don't know that they're going to be able to fix that at all. And they didn't make any other addition. I'm I'm just was surprised at the time that the Phillies didn't do more because. You look at what the Braves did, and it was just about getting to a level of competence. Now they have Jorge Soler, who's been amazing for 10 games. But, you know, the question is, let's go through the lineups, and it's like, can you be an average MLB hitter the rest of the way? For the Braves, guys, the answer is yes. For Soler, yes. Jock Peterson, yes. Adam Duvall, yes. Ozzy Albies, yes. They can all do it. Dansby Swanson, yes. Are they going to be superstars? No, that's what Freddie Freeman has to do. Like, that's his job on, on this team right now. That's what yeah. Austin Riley has to do and has done right now. Ozzy uh, Albies. You know, Ozzy Albies. He can they be have star power a to little match better. the like, Phillies. Eddie Rosario is coming back, hopefully, you know, soon. And he's another guy who, like, yes, he can be he can be average. He can be an average guy for you. The, the Phillies, like, you know, Travis Jankowski, he hasn't before. Luke Williams, he hasn't before. Ronald Torres, he hasn't before. Like, Nick Maton, these guys have not been average hitters before. No. So I don't know why we should think they're going to now. And if, you know, God forbid anything were to happen to uh, Harper or Real Mudo, they would be completely tanked. And, yeah, you know, they, they'd be up a certain creek without a paddle. And I think that's kind of where we are because uh, just even the fact that not the harp on Boehm in particular, but to, to give additional context out of all qualifiers in all of Major League Baseball, he is third in terms of the worst ground ball to fly ball rate. In all of baseball, again, behind only Raimel Tapia of the Rockies and Tim Anderson of the White Sox, who have different ways they can be productive that Alec Bohm doesn't necessarily bring to the table. So I feel like when it comes down to this division, it's like, can the Mets break out of who they've been so far? For the Phillies, it's like, can the pitching really outpace the hitting? And for Atlanta, it's like, can do we have enough pieces, like you're saying, to be major league average teams? So all or, or hitters and on top of a, a pretty sturdy rotation. Uh, as things start to come together. All of this being said, TC, do you feel as though there is one particular team that you're going to lean into to win this division? Because I feel like even over the course of this conversation, we've had reason to oscillate between all three. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think coming in, I still kind of felt like I still wanted to say Mets because I like their lineup as, as much as, you know, my brain tells me that their lineup is terrible. You know, I look at one through nine, one through nine, one through eight, and it, it looks pretty good to me still. And if, and I feel like if they get some couple of guys get back, if Baez is if Baez is there, and Lindor is there, they're looking good, and the rotation in without the ground looks solid. But it just, I don't know that ultimately it makes sense to put faith in that lineup 
Phillies, they have the star power. The top of their the top of their uh, you know roster is amazing, and I think if they make it, it'll be because it'll be it's kind of the Nationals model. It's, it's like crazy and silly as it is to say. It's you know, it's three horses in the top of the rotation, and it's Bryce Harper, and, and yeah. <laughs> that's yep. the model you'll ride. And and it's definitely possible, but I think the safe bet is the Braves. You look at them, and it just you know, the Braves, they do it every year. They shored up the roster where they needed to. They've got, you know, Richard Rodriguez in the bullpen, who's been really good. Will Smith, who's been there before. They got a lot of guys there. They have Charlie Morton in the rotation, along with Max Freed, who's back. Tuki Toussaint is looking like maybe it's finally time for him to be a rotation arm. You know, they have pieces that the whole lineup top to bottom, like, one through 26 or 28 or whatever it's going to be. I think they're in a better spot and they have, they even have more pieces to come. Like, you know, Christian Pashi has been bad, but he's a defensive replacement in September. Yeah. Who can be helpful for you? You know, William Contreras, same thing as a third catcher. And, and, you know, I just don't know that the Phillies and the Mets have any of those pieces that are coming. I think, you know, gun to my head i'm i think i put my money behind the braves just because i trust them to be competent and that might be all it takes for this division right and that says a lot and i think i would agree ultimately now that said are any of these teams whoever wins out whoever it shakes out are any of them actually primed for a significant run do you think even just as like a yes or no or like absolutely not um I- I mean, that's the thing is like, as much as I love the Braves to, to get there, I think they have the least chance of the three to get past the, the Brewers, you know, the, the Mets, if they have the Mets can dream on getting DeGrom back. If they get DeGrom back for the playoffs, like DeGrom and Stroman and Carlos Carrasco can absolutely get them past the Brewers. And, you know, when you're talking about a, a division series, you don't need 10 runs a game. You know, you need three runs a game. If you can beat them four to two and in three to one, like, Mets can win those games. And I think the same can be said for the Phillies. You know, it's not the same. I'd rather go to war with the Grom and Stroman and Carrasco, assuming Carrasco can kind of figure it out here than with Wheeler and Nola and Gibson, but they're not that far behind. And, you know, I do like, you know, Harper's moxie, but I, I just trust the Brewers a little bit more. I don't think that, you know, come playoff time, the Brewers have the bullpen, the Brewers have the, the, the arms who are ready and they have the belief and i don't think the i think the phillies and the phillies and mets for years and still now it feels like they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop right they're always waiting for the bottom to come out and you know i don't know both of them could give them a run for sure i think the mets are the team that i would feel best about in the postseason who might have the hardest time getting there yeah exactly yeah which is kind of silly but that's baseball isn't it like that's it, it most certainly is, and I think that's a really interesting note to kind of tie up the, the NL East and, and the, uh, the impressive cluster it has become this season. Uh, if we think about, we've talked about a few key injuries and developments along that front and, and comebacks for certain guys. If we move into this week in baseball, it really is, as it has been all year, just guys going down and coming back. And the Dodgers have made a slew of moves. Even just today, they put bets back on the I.L. with a hip injury they've been trying to avoid by, like, weirdly playing him at second base. Kershaw got moved to the 60-day I.L. Joe Kelly was to the 10-day. Corey Kniebel is back. 
and dealing at like 97. Justin Turner will miss, quote, a few days with a groin injury. Um, do, they, do they have to worry or is this just like, is part of this like Dodgeritis and part of it is just the, the grind of a year after a weird 2020? Like where, where do the Dodgers stand? I mean, they absolutely have to worry. If nothing else, like you know, they got an eight eight year division title winning streak on the on the line here, and it's they're four games behind the Giants, and the Giants, Giants look, have seventy one wins. It is the Giants are so good. Like, yeah. it's, I mean, it's insane. But the Giants look really good right now, and they have Kevin Gossman, and they have and they have a, a, a lineup that is was you know maybe built in twenty fifteen, but it's playing in twenty twenty one for whatever reason, and you know. I don't know who to give the credit to, but the Dodgers just got the Dodgers have the better roster. I, I, yeah. I just, they just do. The Dodgers are the best team in baseball. Like, well, like given, we talk about given health and everything else. They're the team it just, but right. I don't know how to keep them healthy. There's something wrong, something going wrong for the Dodgers this year, they, but they, they, they put bets and Kershaw on IL and extended IL stints pushing back when he can come back. But this is like what we covered with the trade deadline. They they went out and added Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. So where is the drop off? Like, it's almost yeah. like how scary can they be if these guys do get healthy? I don't know that they quite have to worry because they have so many elite pieces. But it is very interesting that these things are happening now in August and and kind of wondering how the ripple effect might impact them as we go down the stretch run. Because what you know who's hurt for a one game playoff. And, and that could be really, yeah. really incredible for them. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, and I'll, and I'll say this to the Dodgers too. They're kind of in a similar place as the Phillies in that they have to rely on their internal improvements and where the Phillies have Alec Bohm, the Dodgers somehow have Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger has been <laughs> a freaking disaster. He's hitting. Who's been better 177, a little bit lately. 177, 273, 328. Cody yeah. Bellinger through yeah. 220 plate appearances. <laughs> like he has been an absolute disaster at the plate and you know, he's got to figure it out for them. Like, that's just, that's just it. Like, yes, their roster is stacked. Like they are like, you look at their lineup and you look at the Phillies lineup and it's like, do the Phillies know that they're in the same league as the Dodgers? Like they know that they're going <laughs> to like, play the same playoffs. Right. Cause the Dodgers straight up have an all-star team. Like they yeah. straight up have an all-star lineup. Like most of those guys have been in the all-star game. Maybe all of them. I at saw it. Like, somebody on Twitter like point AJ Pollock out that, had to been an all-star, right? I think he was at one point. I, I saw somebody on Twitter point out that ultimately they they can't even like if you tried to get the Dodgers rotation in a fantasy league, you'd have no shot. Uh in a team that's like, you know, twelve to fifteen teams big or ten to fifteen teams big. The Dodgers did it in a league where there's thirty teams, and that's just insane. Um Another NL West note, Fernando Tatis Jr. in the outfield. What? That's what they're <laughs> prepping him for when he returns? How is that smart? He can do anything. He can do anything. And and it limits his throwing potential. Like, that's he does his have problem. a ton of errors. His shoulder keeps popping out of his socket. They say his shoulder has dislocated five times this year. So, yeah, if you're looking at him, you're looking at we're looking at a guy whose shoulder keeps separating from his body. And every time he just keeps coming back and playing like an MVP. So you're like, okay, here's the issue. Let's keep his shoulder in its socket. If that's possible, like what can we do to make that possible? And they're going to put him in the outfield. And But how know, does that make it more possible? Like center field's more rigorous than anywhere, right? Like why would they put him there? Why would they put him in a not position the arm to make necessarily. diving, leaping catches? <clears throat> well, I assume they're going to tell him, don't leave your feet. <laughs> you know, 
don't leave your feet, dude. Like, we don't care. You will get it back on offense. Make the plays you can make. You're, you're fast as hell. Like, you'll be fine. The throws from shortstop are harder. It's more rigorous on your arm than they are from the outfield. You can protect your arm a little bit in the outfield that way. And, you know, you have to trust that he's not going to be laying out like that a lot. And, you know, I don't know if you can trust that with Tatis. Like, that's not really something yeah. you can trust. But I think they're just doing whatever they can to get him healthy. And I think they can kind of limit his throwing from being in the outfield. And he's such an athlete. They're like, why not? Plus they kind of have, it kind of fits a team need a little bit, right? Like they're, they got Cronenworth. Who's good at short. Who's fine there. And they have Adam Frazier. Who's like one of those guys was going to move to the outfield. So, right. I mean, it seems like you have, you know, three middle infielders who all have proven they can play the short play the outfield. And then one who hasn't. And the Padres are like, that's the guy we want in the outfield. <laughs> Tatis, let's get you out there. So, you know, I don't know. But he's Fernando Tatis. Maybe they're just showing off. I don't know. I think they're just like, we're in third place. Screw it. Let's just show everybody how good Tatis is that we can just put him in center field. I guess. I don't know. I was saying that last night even. Like, uh, you know, just imagine being the Padres and and ultimately being like, what is it? They're 25 games 27 games uh no i'm sorry i'm i'm bad at math they are 17 games over 500 there are 66 wins and they are seven games back in the division that's just how wild the nl west has been the giants 72 wins correct myself from a moment ago uh one other big injury i did want to talk about was the white Sox putting carlos rodon on the il with throwing shoulder fatigue you might expect this given the developmental path rodon has had uh, but it's kind of a bummer, right? And like, do you do you think this is a uh, let's get him some rest type of thing for the stretch run because they pretty much have the the division wrapped up, or is this something bigger of concern for the White Sox down the stretch? I I mean I think it's just a thing to get more rest. I mean shoulder fatigue that's not a real injury, right? That's just like you can anyone just claim shoulder fatigue? Like, is it <laughs> do you have to like show like a drop in velocity or something, or is it just like Carlos, how's your, you know, you just threw a hundred pitches. How's your, how's your arm feeling? And he's like tired. And they're like, I knew it. Shoulder <laughs> fatigue. Let's rest them for a couple of weeks. So, I mean, obviously it could always mean something. I feel like we've seen this demarcation of, of shoulder fatigue a couple of times now with guys who've just kind of taken a couple of weeks off and it's kind of been a way of controlling innings. Again, I'm not saying that it's something untoward is happening. I just, you know, I'm sure he does is experiencing shoulder fatigue. He hasn't thrown this many innings in, in, his years. entire career maybe since or college, yeah, probably. for nine years. So yeah, 109 innings right now. And he hasn't thrown that many since 2018 when he threw 120. So he's clearly going to pass that. Okay. And so that puts him all the way back to 2016 when he threw 165. So, you know, yeah. and that's his, his career high. So, you know, yeah, shoulder fatigue is real. I don't think that they need to worry that much because frankly, even if they were to lose him long-term, they would be fine. They have Lucas Giolito and they have Lance Lynn and they yeah. have Dylan Cease and they have Dallas Keiko. Like they're, they're fine. They're fine. Yeah. They could lose Rodon for the rest of the season and, and not even, you know, bat an eye. They could. And what's interesting is his fastball velocity is kind of oscillated all year. It's gone between like 94 and 97. And his last few starts, it was almost 96. His last time out before that, it was 94. The previous two, then 96, 96, 96, 95. So maybe they're just like, you know what? A couple starts in 94. We haven't seen that since April. Why don't we just give you a break? Like, you might actually be fatigued. You are on pace for the most innings, probably the most quality innings of his career, too, as oh, a yeah. professional. So definitely. 
yeah, I, I guess, uh, I don't know, my fingers are crossed because the White Sox are just so, so much fun. Uh, so all of that said, given a few notes around the league, given all of this dish on the NL East, TC, where can we find you online? Uh, yeah, come and get me the, the usual places, hanging around Twitter at TC Zanka, hanging around the, the pitcher list Discord. Uh, I'll be writing for MLB Trade Rumors this, this weekend, so come you know, check out whatever's happening there, and uh, you know, we'll keep you up to date on what's going on throughout the league. Come say hello. Come say hi to TC at those places. Come say hi to me at Tim Jackson says on Twitter. Come say hi uh, through picture list discord. Say hi to the pod at breaking pod PL uh, or at breaking pod PL at gmail.com. My stuff will be at BP as it is uh, every week. Uh, you know, this coming week, there'll be a depth charts piece. And uh, I believe I'm on tap for a fantasy freestyle. Uh so check it out. Keep an eye, uh, keep an eye on everything, gang. We will keep uh, the, the pace and the pulse of things for you in the NL East and elsewhere around baseball. So happy you've stopped by with us this week. Can't wait to hang out with you again next week. Until then, have the best week ever, everybody. Don't forget to kindly rate us uh, five stars. Leave a nice comment. And again, have the best week ever. We'll see you next time, everyone.